listening to Theology and Apologetics with Thomas Fretwell. Welcome back to the Global News Update. This is the show bringing you cultural commentary from a biblical perspective. Uh, I am, at the moment, I've been preparing for a number of speaking events that I have coming up over the summer. Uh, the main one, obviously, is the Creation Fest music festival and bible week i'll I'll be doing a a main stage teaching there and also a number of seminars throughout the week and then about a week after that this is in august i will be heading to finland to speak to some students and a couple of churches out there uh, on a number of different creation and biblical authority related topics so i appreciate your prayers for those events also this last month has seen the release of my book the book is called who am i human identity and the gospel in a confusing world it's available now from amazon and a number of different places and it really explores the issue of human identity so that's been great to see the release of that book i encourage you just to buy a copy and leave us a review if you can of course another reason why it's hard to sort of collate these news is because the news cycle moves so quickly it's very very hard to decide what to include and what to leave out The way I want to do these news reports for now is rather than focusing on everything that can seem a little bit concerning and maybe a little bit depressing, uh, I've sort of sifted through the news and I'm trying hard to find some things that are also uplifting and encouraging to the faith and and we found plenty of things. So let's begin over in the UK. A recent report that was just released in the UK, a headline reads like this, Atheism and Islam on the rise in the UK as Christianity suffers dramatic decline. The proportion of Brits who identify as Christian has reached its lowest point in over three decades of polling, as more than half of respondents say they no longer affiliate with a religion. This is what the new study suggests. It came from the National Centre for Social Research, which claims to be Britain's largest independent social research agency, and the report is the 36th annual British Social Attitude Report. It's based on over 4,000 people, so a medium-sized data set for this report. And of course, you always need to be careful with polling data, but it's some interesting results from this. You see, the survey shows that the biggest change is in the number of people who define themselves as confident atheists. This rose from 10% in 1998 to 18% in 2008 and it's now at a record high of 26% in 2018. So that's actually a pretty high percentage of people who are willing to call themselves confident atheists. Uh, The authors of the report said the survey suggests that Britain is becoming more secular but listen to this quote this is very interesting. Not because adults are losing their religion but because older people with an attachment to the Christian denominations are gradually being replaced in the population by unaffiliated younger people. They added to the report that religious decline in Britain is, quote, generational, as people tend to be less religious than their parents. The decline in religion is generational. Now, I find this extremely interesting as we contemplate it and just bring a little bit of uh, biblical commentary on this. It's very important to pass on our faith. One of the continued emphases in the Bible is the need to pass on the knowledge of God to the next generation. And we find a very stark example of this back in the Old Testament. Remember the days of Joshua. As uh, we go back to the Exodus, as the Israelites were, were led out of Egypt by miraculous signs and wonders, they were kept and sustained in the wilderness, and they were then led into the land, and they conquered the land back in uh, Joshua. And we read this in Joshua chapter 24, verse 31. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him, and who had experienced everything that the Lord had done for Israel. 
they were faithful. But then how does the book of Judges begin? Judges comes chronologically after Joshua in the Old Testament. Judges chapter 2 verse 10 says this, listen carefully, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. One generation and it was gone and they were into the time of the judges which was so common and so known as one of the worst periods in Israel's history, a period where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Moral relativism reigned. How very similar to our culture today. You see the remnant, the faithful of uh, the church, we must pass on the knowledge of God to the next generation. It's a discipleship issue. We need to take it very seriously. Psalm 145 verse 4 says, One generation commends your works to another, and they tell of your mighty acts. We need to tell and show and demonstrate and live what God has done for us as he has redeemed us from our Egypt, our bondage and slavery to sin through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This is truly what we need to be telling the world. And I think these statistics in this survey is maybe an indication that we are not doing this. Now, I know there are obviously increased social pressures that contribute to these things. But as a church, we need to take the task of educating the next generation much more seriously than we perhaps do. Let's stay in the UK now and let's talk about another thing that happened very recently. This was uh, quite, quite a significant court victory for free speech. It was the case of Felix Ngole. Uh, if you don't know this case, uh, Felix was a uh, university student at Sheffield University doing social work and he was removed from his course, he was expelled from his course for posting uh, a view on his Facebook page that was um, in defence of traditional marriage and he was removed and expelled from the university for that and he has since appealed this and it's been going through a number of different courts um, so let me just read to you a little bit about this it says in a landmark judgment the court of appeal has upheld the rights of uk christians to freely express their faith by handing victory to former student social worker felix ngole this overturns a high court decision to uphold felix's expulsion from sheffield university the crucial outcome represents a major development of the law it is now clear that christians have the legal right to express biblical views on social media and elsewhere in public without fear for their professional careers here is Andrea Williams, who is the Chief Executive of Christian Concern and the Christian Legal Centre, the organisation that um, supported Felix through these uh, court cases. Just play for you a small clip of her comments based on the, the judgment handed down this week. I'm really delighted to be able to share with you the great news, the good news, that Felix Ngole has won his case. What does this mean? It means that we are free to speak, that we are free to express Christian views, that we are free to advocate those views at university, in the classroom, in our professions. Now what's interesting about this is that th throughout the court, the university insisted that Felix was not free to express his view concerning marriage anywhere except in private. And thankfully the Court of Appeal condemned the position of the university whereby people would live in fear if private expressions of views were overheard and could be reported anonymously. The court ruled, let me quote now from the, from the judgment handed down, the court said the mere expression of views on theological grounds does not necessarily connote that the person expressing such views will discriminate on such grounds. Very important distinction there. 
and it was further recognised that Felix had never been shown to act in a discriminatory fashion. And the outcome of this case would of course have significant implications not only for Christian freedom of speech but in relation to all freedoms of speech as it is now enshrined in case law. So praise the Lord for that victory in the courts. Let's now head over to the United Nations. I want to just highlight something else that caught caught my attention in the last month or so. This is uh, Sarah Idan. Sarah is the former Miss Iraq, and she has uh, she was in the news a little bit because she was uh, victimised with death threats and rape threats for posting a photo with Miss Israel two years ago. And if you were familiar with this, she was told to remove the photo because it, she was from Iraq and she was posing with, with a Jewess from Israel and this was not acceptable to Iraq. She refused to remove it and she's obviously suffered the consequences of that. But now, two years later, she called out dictators at the UN Human Rights Council as they consistently bashed Israel. Now, this is just an amazing speech. Now, I want you to listen to it. I'm going to play uh, most of it now in its entirety and you can listen to this clip. Two years ago, I represented Iraq at Miss Universe. I posted a photo with Miss Israel on social media. I was told to remove it and forced to denounce Israeli policies. I received death threats. Since then, I can no longer return to my homeland. Why did the Iraqi government fail to condemn the threats or allow my freedom of speech? The issue between Arabs and Israelis go beyond policy disagreements. It's deeply rooted in the belief system taught in Muslim countries which are anti-Semitic. Sadly, hatred and intolerance are reinforced by biased media. When I watched the news last month, why did they never report that the Hamas terrorist organization fired nearly 700 rockets at Israeli civilians in one weekend? Or that Hamas used Palestinians in Gaza as human shields? Why do they never condemn Hamas for initiating the attacks? Instead, they only show those killed by the, in, by the response in self-defense and blame Israel. For advocating peace, I'm called a traitor. Why hasn't a single Arab media outlet called to ask my views? Instead, they publish false translations of my statements. I would like to remind Arab countries that today, you share more common interests with Israel than the terrorist militias. Negotiating peace for both states isn't betraying the Arab cause, but a vital step to end conflict and suffering for all. Thank you. As I sort of reflect on the, on the bravery and courage of this woman, it makes me just think, and I, I don't want to be too derogatory here, but it does make me think of the sort of women that we, we often hold up as role models in society today. You see, this is an extremely brave woman who deserves our respect. And I would say that maybe we should give more women like this the praise rather than uh, the sort of excessive focus that we would put on, say, a member of the Kardashians who can complete the bottle cap challenge. Our culture is seems to be focused on these things whereby these sorts of women who really do deserve our respect but because a lot of the time it doesn't fit the social, uh, political identity and the narrative that's being pushed, they are ignored in favour of some of these other things that are a lot less edifying. I think this says a lot about our culture and I think this, if I could say it, says a lot about the vacuous nature of sort of the woke politics and maybe even the woke feminism right now. That when real women stand up who are minorities themselves, because obviously they are not fitting some of the identity politics molds they are simply ignored and this is something that we need to uh, I think we need to confront this in the church uh, lovingly and graciously but you know we are to be a light to the nations and we are to have our minds renewed by the spirit of God and we are not to be um, conformed to this world um, so let's let's 
pray for this uh, for this woman, let's pray ultimately that she would find Christ, and that she would be protected and her family would be protected from uh, the government that is seeking to remove, actually I, I believe in the news recently, just a few days ago, they have actually removed her Iraqi citizenship now. So we could pray that uh, she finds safe haven in a country that is, is willing to protect her. For our fourth item, let's go over to Hong Kong. And before I say anything, I just want you to listen to this. This is a clip of the, the protests that are taking place in Hong Kong. Let me give you a bit of the background so that we can understand this. Now in June, thousands of people, and this shortly grew to millions of people, took the streets in Hong Kong to protest a proposed extradition bill. And this bill would allow people to be extradited from the former British colony, Hong Kong, to the mainland China, Beijing. Now when Great Britain ceded, or we, we gave back Hong Kong to China in 1997, the agreement clearly stated the, the principle that's since known as the one country, two systems. This was the governing principle and it would govern relations between Hong Kong and mainland China for, 50, for the next 50 years. And according to this agreement, Hong Kong's domestic affairs would be governed by the systems it inherited from Britain. Obviously this included um, freedom of speech, freedom of religion and eventually free elections. And under these systems of government, Hong Kong prospered, and so did the church in Hong Kong. Now what we see happening here is Beijing trying to take back control of Hong Kong. And the Christians know that in China, the church is heavily regulated and heavily persecuted. Um, there's many news stories we could have included of, of churches being demolished, crosses being destroyed, uh, Christians being put in prison and disappearing if they're not registered and they know that if uh, Beijing took control that they would then be targets for extradition if the bill goes through. Many Hong Kong Christians support the underground church in China which is growing rapidly and I think this is a, um, one of the reasons why this might be happening. It's alarming uh, communist Beijing that the Christian church is growing so rapidly there. These protesters, what we just heard there, filled with Christians who were actually involved. Usually they would have shied away from these political details, but it's it's very, very serious for them. There were hymns, there were prayer stations, the churches sprung to action, offered food and clothing to protesters, they tidied the streets afterwards, they even parted the way for ambulances as they come through. It's an amazing thing to watch, and it really puts into stark contrast a good example of how we should protest if we are going to protest for for our rights in certain areas they must be done in a certain way it's a big contrast to if you've seen any of the recent uh, antifa protests in america which has masked people with, with pipes and dressed in black making a noise blocking traffic beating people attacking people throwing things at people uh, the, the contrast couldn't really be more clear so let's remember to lift up our brothers over there right now. Let's pray that the church would prosper and that this extradition bill would get completely uh, dropped out of the courts. The Asian church is actually perhaps the largest church in the world at the moment. So we, we really do need to lift them up in our prayers.
Now let's head over to Israel for our next couple of news items. Now of course there's always so much we could say about Israel. For this, for this uh, global news update I am simply going to give us two new archaeological finds that I just find very interesting that have been announced. So July the 9th archaeologists announced the discovery of the biblical city of Ziglag. The, uh, the IAA, the Israel Antiquity Authority and the Hebrew University of Jerusalem have announced the discovery of what they believe is the biblical city of Ziglag. Now those of you familiar with the Bible you'll know that this was the Philistine city which the young David took refuge from King Saul in the book of 1 Kings. Ziglag is mentioned in the Bible multiple times in relation to David who again is a archaeologically verified personage of the Bible and now we have another city just putting more confirmation that the Bible is a book of true history. It was um, the king of Gath who was the, the leader of Ziglag the site is also believed to be the place from which David left to journey to Hebron where he was anointed king of Israel and he ruled for seven years before he uh, ascended and took the throne in Jerusalem. And later on in the book of Nehemiah you find Ziglag mentioned again as a centre for returning Jews from the Babylonian exile. So it's a city that is mentioned a lot in the Bible, it's very important. This is another significant find and another confirmation that the Bible is true and it is historically accurate. Christianity and Judaism are religions that are rooted in real history. Another very interesting find coming from Israel recently. The headline read, Israel unveils pilgrim road where Jesus walked, littered with ancient free Zion coins. Israel officially opened a stairway known as the Pilgrim's Road, and this is the road which Jesus would have walked on to reach the Second Temple. I'm very excited about this. I will be in Israel in September. I'm hoping to, to visit this new uh, road so that I can see this. A little bit of the report says the City of David Foundation unveiled the 2,000-year-old main uh, thoroughfare from Roman-era Jerusalem that served pilgrims ascending to the ancient Jewish temple from the Pool of Siloam built by King Hezekiah. Until recently it was hidden under a potato field and discovered by accident in 2004 after a burst pipe. Like so many of these sites in Israel, obviously the modern cities are often just built on top of the ancient cities, so there's literally a wealth of history under the ground and this one got unearthed by accident. Almost all of the Jewish pilgrims would have entered the city on this road. It's a road that Jesus almost certainly used during the Second Temple period, alongside many of the famous Jewish scholars, the apostles and leaders of that period. Let me give you just one example. The famous rabbis Hillel and Shammai, who both run uh, rabbinical academies, famous first century scholars who figure prominently in the Mishnah. Uh, there's, a, there's a portion in there where they're debating uh, what stage in a child's development his father is obligated to include him in the pilgrimage up to the temple. Shammai, the stringent one, says that a child should be included as long as he can sit on his father's shoulders, whereas Hillel said that only if the child is able to walk up the 750 metre road need he be included. Obviously the road there is the reference to this pilgrim's road that has now been unearthed and it is the same road that Jesus and all these people would have walked upon. I find that, again, just amazing and I can't wait to go and see that in person. It's one of those places where we can be relatively or pretty much certain that Jesus would have walked. So let's leave our global news update there. Let me recommend a resource for you. I always try and recommend a resource for you at the end of these uh, news reports for you to dig into some things that I like. I'm going to recommend to you the Ben Shapiro show. Now if you don't know Ben Shapiro, he's an Orthodox Jew, a um, figure in uh, conservatism in America. 
and he recently had on the Christian apologist and philosopher William Lay Craig on his show and he, he, he often has Christians on his show and, and different people of all different stripes and backgrounds actually and it's a, usually a very interesting discussion. Let me play for you a small clip just to whet your appetite. This idea of, yes. of a God that's present in the universe and that uh, has moral component to him, yes. is the unmoved mover, all of these things. So why do you need the idea of revelatory God who speaks to human beings? The arguments that we've discussed already narrow down the field of the world religions to basically the great monotheistic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, or perhaps deism. The question as to which of these is true, I think, stands or falls upon the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Who do you think Jesus of Nazareth was? So I suggest you all, you all go and check that out. It's definitely worth a listen. Now, to end, I want to just pay my respect to great giants of the faith that have passed away in the last three months. The first one in, in May the 2nd, 2019, was the death of uh, the popular and prolific Bible teacher, Warren Wiersbe. Um, like many of you, you've got Wiersbe's books on your shelf. You probably have his popular B series of Bible commentaries, and if you're in the States, you've probably listened to his um, Back to the Bible radio ministries at some point. His B commentaries are amazing. I have the six volume set right behind me on my bookshelf now. Let me give you a quote by Wiersbe. He says, the remedy for discouragement is the word of God. When you feed your heart and mind with its truth, you regain your perspective and find renewed strength. A typical quote of Wiersbe, always give such respect to the word of God. Let us all follow in his example and we'll mourn that we've lost a, a, a great prince in Israel, so to speak, but he's rejoicing in heaven now. The second great, great loss we've experienced is July the 1st, was Norman Geisler. Many of you will know Geisler, you'll have many of your books on his bookshelf, I have at least 10 of his books right now in my office. One of the pioneers of Christian apologetics, prolific author and the founder of a Southern Evangelical Seminary and Veritas Seminary University I believe. He's also one of the framers of the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. Um, so he, he leaves a huge hole, but we pray that people would be raised up to fill it and we give thanks for his life. Um, let me end with a quote by Geisler. So I cast my lot with him, not the one who claimed wisdom, Confucius, or the one who claimed enlightenment, Buddha, or the one who claimed to be a prophet, Muhammad, but with the one who claimed to be God in human flesh. The one who declared, before Abraham was born, I am, and proved it. So I just want to say thank you for listening to this global update. If this has been helpful to you, I pray that you would share this podcast, review it on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. For more resources, please go to the website theologyandapologetics.com. Subscribe to our newsletter so you never miss a, a, an article, a blog post or an update. Uh, and once again, I'll just remind you that my book is available now on Amazon, so please uh, order a copy of that. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>